Do you want to know the difference between Botox and dermal fillers? Do you want to know the difference between thread lifts and facelifts? Do you want to know the reasons some people choose to improve their appearance with aesthetic medicine? What makes our patients and our doctors tick? Hello, and welcome to Aesthetic Medicine Uncovered. My name is Simon Ravichandran, and in this series of podcasts, we will be talking about what aesthetic medicine actually is, the procedures that we offer, what we do, and why we do it. I hope you'll find it interesting, and I hope it answers some questions you may have. This podcast is produced by the Clinetics Group, Scotland's leading multi-award winning aesthetic medical clinics. Hi, and welcome to Aesthetic Medicine Uncovered. I'm Dr. Simon Ravichandran. Today, I'm joined by dentist Dr. Paula Mann and therapist Erin Anderson. Today, we're going to be talking about lip fillers. So, I'm going to start off by just discussing our overall approach and ideas about lip fillers, what they are and what we can do with them, and you know, touch on the patient expectations, what our patients really want to get from lip fillers and whether or not what their ideas and impressions are are, are generally feasible or whether they're based more on you know, media sort of uh, imagery that they see, the Love Island and the magazines you know, giving these ideas that maybe aren't exactly the right ones or the appropriate ones. So let's start off with um, Erin. So Erin, we're one of our senior therapists here at the clinic. You're now our uh, training manager for the therapists and the medical staff. So Erin keeps me in check and makes sure I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Erin's actually, uh, she's quite young. She's 28 um, and she has had lip fillers before, but 28 is... You know, but on our practice in this clinic, I know patients tend to go for uh, lip fillers generally quite young, uh, but that's not what we see here in Clinetics, no, is it? I don't think, well, from my perspective, mainly dealing with thin skin, I see all age ranges from very young through to, to more mature. And I have to say, when it comes to lip augmentation within Clinetics, we do have more of a higher drive for a more restorative yeah, the augmentation rather than moment. trying to fill and make them look fake, which suits me perfectly. But yeah. with my age range, I think we sometimes get categorised that if we're young, we're looking for lip augmentation to be big, to be noticeable, almost like a status symbol, um, which is obviously not what everybody wants. And I'm quite happy when I go down that route when I've had my lips done previously, it is just to really give them that rehydration so they look healthy. It fits in with my face shape and we take into consideration everything holistically in the face so we do see a wide range but we do kind of have that niche mark of a more mature client. Yeah I mean Paula you do a lot of the lip filler treatments in the mm-hmm. clinic you know what what's the typical sort of patient that you would see in here what what are they what are they wanting? Well my typical patient almost always will start a conversation about lip filler by saying I do not want anyone to notice that I've had treatment. Mm -hmm. Um, I do not want them to look fake. I do not want them to be turned out. I don't want them to look like they look in the media. So they are already asking um, for what Erin had said, that the the natural restorative is, is what they're requesting. So our demographic is mostly going to be female patients 
with sometimes fine lines around the mouth, which they notice their lipstick bleeding into or their makeup setting in. And over the years, they've lost some volume, so they don't enjoy wearing makeup anymore. Yeah. It's more of a uh, a restorative or regenerative treatment Mm -hmm. to bring the lips back to a more youthful appearance and not so much, in our practice at least, a sort of augmentation process Mm -hmm. to make the lips look artificially inflated and and larger. So there's this, you know, the traditional approach that everyone knows where we just put filler in the lips to make them bigger. But I think our approach here is, is, is quite different in that we've got the mature patient, but the mature patient, or the, the older or more aged perioral and lip area, it's got different challenges, doesn't it? It's not a simple matter of just placing an implant in the lip. Yeah, I mean, people tend to look in the mirror Um, and they'll focus in on just the lips. But we discuss with our patients that they have to appreciate that there's other changes within that area that could and should be addressed, which will give them a much better outcome. So broadly speaking, the skin changes, the tissues underneath change, even right down as deep as the bone, and that causes other lines and shadows um, and supporting issues around the mouth and by treating the mouth and the lips on their own you're not always going to resolve all of the problems so um, the treatment planning stage is really important for us so the patient appreciates what has changed over the years and then what can be corrected and rejuvenated yeah and Erin you see in in your work you see patients from the whole age age group from 18 all the way up to 80 and and even older so we know that different age groups have got different requirements just based on the the anatomy and what and what's happened so you know what are the sort of things that we see in older patients that we don't see in younger patients so i think definitely um first and foremost mindset is completely different depending on what age there as paula said your older clients do not want to be noticed um, they don't want that they get that lip augmentation done which is really visible whereas they, they kind of slide and scale down the way sometimes it almost becomes a bit like a status symbol um, so when I see patients mainly as that skin it's skin that's an issue it's acne, pigmentation, anti-aging um, and 9 out of 10 times within treatment filler or, or injectables will come in conversation um, but what I think we really can hone in within clinetics is, is depending on your age, depends on the technique that we will use. A lot of my patients will say, I've got a problem around the mouth area, I've got fine lines, I've got smoker's lines, or I've got jowling, um, but I do not want to go for injectables because in the forefront of their mind, mm. they think they're going to come out looking like this huge trout pout mm-hmm. that the media portrays. But unfortunately, that is such a massive misconception. We, we don't actually offer that treatment per se because we are looking at tweaking, adding very small amounts, um, to give you that very naturally enhanced look you still will look the exact same but you just have a little bit of fresh around there and I think a lot of patients don't realise how little we can use to actually create that because I think yeah. that whole half a mil, one mil gets buried about a bit and people think that that's a terrifying amount of filler mm-hmm. and really in hindsight when they have that done they're like oh that's actually quite natural that's actually quite natural mm-hmm. yeah because the volume of filler isn't, isn't terribly relevant yeah because it's going to vary from patient to patient, the requirements are going to vary from patient to patient. And as you said, 
you know, there's there's other issues with fine lines and jowling and sagging skin. And you know, I my my personal opinion is when when a patient presents and they you know, they're, they're drawn to the lips, they go, I don't like I don't like my lips. But when you're looking at them, if you just think lips, you're going to fill the lips. You're going to get a very artificial mm -hmm. outcome. We've got to look at all the structures around the lips. So as Paula mentioned, the skin, the bone, the fat, the muscles, all these things need to be addressed. And, and more often than not, particularly in the older demographic, we have to have a multimodal approach and choose definitely volume uh, replacement in the lips as required, but also some superficial dermal fillers in the skin and maybe other treatments as well. We could be using toxins or some skin rejuvenation treatments and threads. So it all comes into play and what I like to do is when, when a patient says lips, I think perioral area. It's, it's the whole thing because I want to improve the appearance of everything around it, not just the lip itself because a, a beautifully full, lush, hydrated lip is going to look really artificial if the surrounding tissues are all lax and collapsing and, and aged. It just doesn't look, doesn't look right. So moving on from our ethos and approach to the lip fillers, there's, there are different um, ethnicities that have different expectations from treatment or different aesthetic ideals as well, aren't there? So it brings us on to this, uh, this concept that there's a perfect ratio of lip size, upper lip mm -hmm. to lower lip size. But I think in, in my experience, that doesn't always stand true. Is that something you've noticed, Paula? I think it does come back a little bit to the media again. People think there's maybe a one-size-fits-all approach, but when they're genetic makeup and their facial form is analysed and discussed, I think patients understand really well why you would do one thing or not follow the route that other patients that they, that they have seen have. Mm -hmm. So um, explaining to patients what is natural and falls into their, their genetic makeup is usually acceptable and they're happy with that. Mm -hmm. I think a worry for patients is that you are actually going to change them or make them look different. Um, which they, for the most part, don't want. And there's a worry of that when we just approach with the one-size-fits-all. If everyone gets the same lip filler treatment to get the same proportion, mm -hmm. it doesn't suit everyone. It only suits a certain sort of person. And I, my, my story on this, my, my realisation of this actually came from a time, it was a, a good number of years ago, and I was um, doing a lecture tour. I was doing six or seven lectures throughout the UK on lip rejuvenation for medical professionals. And for the first half of the, the tour, I would put my slides up and I would say, the upper lip to lower lip ratio has to be one to 1.6. That's imperative, that's just the way it is. You know, Da Vinci noticed it, we all know it's the golden ratio. And I, I, I said this over and over again, I told hundreds of people this and they all went away. Um, and then at one of the meetings, I went to the bathroom in the break and I was looking in the mirror and I realized that my lips were the opposite way around. I realised, I was like 38 or something, and I realised for the first time my upper lip was bigger than my lower lip. And I've been told, and I have been telling people, that that's wrong, that's not, not the right way of doing it. So I came back out, and uh, in the afternoon, the second series, I said, listen, guys, you know, I, I start most of my talks with, uh, with, with the, the disclaimer that half of what I say is wrong, we just don't know which half yet. And I think, well, I've just figured out one big wrong thing, either that or my face is wrong. Um, so, you know, disregard everything, or take it with a pinch of salt, because the natural proportions and ratios aren't necessarily right for everyone. In fact, I'm now swinging, they're not, not necessarily right, they're definitely not right for everyone. So, I think sometimes we forget, our patients forget that face shape is so imperative when you are doing lip augmentation, because a lot of people think that 
they would like something that Angelina Jolie style that but they come with a really little petite face. Yeah, you could achieve that, but you're gonna look completely false and not like yourself. Whereas you have someone with a bit much rounder face, they can carry a lot more volume. Mm. So I think patients don't understand that face shape is so imperative and the way you may want to look isn't actually gonna achieve that look because you don't have that facial structure to support it. So it is really important as you both said that consultation and that really getting to know your patient and discussing with them so they understand both sides of it. You can understand their outcome and they understand how that's going to be achieved. Yeah, I mean it's the individualised approach. Mm-hmm. Every single patient's got different anatomical requirements, different aesthetic requirements and you know it's our job as the team here to figure out what's going to work best for any one patient. So we change our treatment for every single patient that we do. Okay, so I think we've covered kind of broadly our ethos and you know, I, I know we can talk about this for hours and hours, but I'd like to move on to some sort of, you know, questions that, you know, the, the typical patient would ask when they come in and you've decided on a treatment plan, but they, you know, they've got questions and they want to know a few things. Does it hurt? Is it going to bruise? You know, we've covered, is it going to look fake? The answer is no, it's going to look natural. But um, in terms of pain and discomfort, there are many, many different ways of, of doing lip treatments. There's many different ways of providing anesthesia. So Paula, you know, you're, Paula's a dentist um, with a, a lot of experience working in the mouth and the perioral area. So what's your take on anesthesia and you know, reducing pain for mm-hmm. these treatments? I think um, if there's pain control available, then personally, I would always want to have it. And um, on discussing that with patients, most patients would want to be as comfortable as as possible. Um, There's two ways that we can make the lip area more comfortable. One is using a topical anaesthetic and one is using injectable um, anaesthetic like you would get at the dentist if you were getting a filling done or something like that. So topical anaesthetic is the cream. So this is Mm -hmm. what a lot of people just call the the numbing cream. Yep, the numbing cream. And um, I think it's fair to say that um, patients have this, uh, they they have this knowledge um, and a lot of patients ask me directly, um, you know, will this be uncomfortable? Is there something more you can do than the numbing cream? Because either somebody told them it was uncomfortable or they've had the experience before and they thought it was uncomfortable. So in the clinic, I find, um, in fact, it's almost 100% patients want more profound anaesthesia. So they want to be more numb than just a numbing cream will give them. It's not unusual. Um, Most lip filler patients, whether they're naive new patients or if they've been somewhere else, if they're new, they'll know someone else who's had a treatment. And it's not unusual for them to describe their friends or associates experience as being really painful that oh it was agony but it's worth it <laughs> well you know we i think well we can do that but without the agony bit yeah, it yeah. really doesn't have to be painful so the fillers do have anesthetics in them most modern fillers have a small amount of anesthetic in it and that's been clinically proven to reduce the discomfort to an extent and we know that numbing cream can then reduce the discomfort even further but we, we prefer to use a, uh, an infiltration anaesthetic. So it's some, some injections which themselves are painless because we can numb up the lining of the gum with a gel. Um, and that means the whole process is almost completely painless. So any patients who have been treated by me with these sorts of procedures will know that I ask for a pain score. And I've been doing this for a decade and I've logged pain scores for every treatment. Um, and I can say that your average pain score for a lip filler treatment with uh, infiltration anesthesia is about 1.5. It's about one and a half out of 10 
where one is no pain at all and 10 is the worst pain imaginable. Um, the vast majority of our cases are done under this, so I've got limited experience with the cream, but with the creams the pain score is a little bit higher and I've done one or two treatments without any anaesthesia at all for patients who really didn't want it and they're describing four and five out of ten uh, pain, which for me is unacceptable for, a, for an aesthetic procedure. If we don't need to suffer, there's absolutely no, no need. I think suffer. the other really important thing about your patient being very comfortable is that as a practitioner, you're happy and you're more comfortable. Um, the patient um, can appreciate that you can take your time, you're not in a rush. Um, if they are comfortable and relaxed, they're not moving about in the chair, and um, so you feel less concerned that you know there might be any outcomes that are changed because the patient moves or jumps. So everybody's happy. Um, and the feedback is really nice, particularly when you've had patients who've had just a topical cream they're really astounded at how comfortable it is. And it's easy to get on with your day after half an hour or so, it's easy to get yeah. on with your day. It's really interesting, uh, that point that patients contrast the experience mm -hmm. with previous experience, and that gives us a really good benchmark to know that we're, we're doing well, we're doing yeah. good for our, uh, our patients. What about the bruising and swelling? Now, I've been reading a little bit recently um, some, some articles that have been written by uh, non-medically trained healthcare, not healthcare professionals, non-medically trained people who are doing these dermal filler treatments. And it's apparently a popular belief that bruising is normal, inevitable for several days. Swelling is normal and, and inevitable and uh, some people are saying that lumps are there and you should expect to have to massage it yourself when you get home. So I, I completely disagree with that. Erin, mm -hmm. you've, you've had um, a lip filler treatment. Mm -hmm. um, I'm assuming it was with Clinetics. It was. <laughs> could, <laughs> could you talk through your experience of you know what what happened after the treatment? Yeah, so as Paula already mentioned, I was completely numbed, um, so I didn't feel anything at all. The most you feel when you're having a lip treatment is slight pressure, because you can imagine, obviously, with the treatment you're doing. Straight afterwards, you usually feel almost like Daffy Duck, because you can't speak, just the same way you go for a... Uh, can, can I just say here that you felt Felt, no, not looked. You look, didn't you look. Feel, no, no. The same way you would go for a fill at the dentist, you feel that your mouth is like rubber because you can't feel anything. And how long did that last for? And that lasts for about a maximum of about half an hour. You start to feel it start to tingle away and then you can have that sensation back. So that's probably the first bit that puts people a bit anxious. But as soon as you've had that done, you realise that that goes really quickly. Um, from having the treatments done and from working with them in the clinic, I can see both sides of it. Whereas the patient straight afterwards feels they, they look quite swollen, they look quite, but in actual fact, when you take yourself back and there's someone looking at that, you don't look in any way, shape or form swollen or, or large. It's just mm. that perspective you have in your own head. But it's one of those things, it really settles in over time. So straight away when I have my lips done, I can be a little bit fuller than what I would be looking to have done as a treatment and then within about a week's time everything settles in and you get that really natural shape. Touch wood, I've never had any um, severe swelling, any bruising and I think that's really down to the technique that you guys use and it has been much monitored um, and we are really good that we do do those follow-ups. We like to keep in touch with our patients and our patients know that if there's any questions they have they come straight back. So within clinics especially, it's the only place I've had my, my lip filler done 
it's a really seamless, understandable, easy, easy process. So we just talked about um, the look for a treatment that you had and how you experienced it. We touched on, um, you touched there briefly on aftercare as well. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's really important to us. We're providing medical treatments um, that have a degree of risk. It's a very low degree of risk, but you know, that's one of the reasons we definitely need to have some sort of aftercare and some sort of follow-up. So instructions and advice is given. Uh, but we also... It's a nice point, though. It's, it's a very low risk in the right hands. It's a very low Obviously, risk, Obviously, with medical yeah. practitioners, this is something that you have studied for years and it comes naturally to you and you know how the full anatomy of the face is. Whereas in other hands, obviously, that's when we see a lot of complications. So I just wanted to put that in there, that yeah. in the right hands, the risks are... Yeah. So it's all about research and, and knowing who your practitioner yeah, is. Yeah, if you... If the person doing the treatment is technically skilled, and has the knowledge of the underlying anatomy and the knowledge of the products and how they work and has an understanding of pharmacology and immunology, how the body might react to the, the products, then you've got a, you know, a good basis on which to understand exactly what's happening when you see the patient afterwards. So if there is any sort of problem or any swelling or any bruising or something else, you know, we should be able to look at it and identify you know, what's going on and reassure the person who's had the treatment that this is normal and it's fine. Um, provide any medication, any painkillers or, or steroids if there's any issues. Uh, but more importantly, identify when there's something that's not right and, and, and have the tools and skills to, to fix that before it becomes a serious problem as well. So, you know, aftercare is, is uh, vital for any medical treatment, really, I, I think. So a minimum of one follow-up at two weeks with a phone call and access to further information if there were an access to uh, contact. So. You know, we have a 24-hour uh, phone line if there's anyone that's ever needed to use it, if they're worried about anything. And I think all practices should have yeah, that yeah. or something like that in place. Paula, you wanted to talk a little bit about the um, aftercare instructions that we give our patients. So what the patients who've had the treatments should be looking out for when they get home. Yeah, patients always ask me if they should be doing anything in particular or anything special when their treatment's finished. And... Um, the most, one of the most important instructions that we give is to keep everything really clean. So the patients are aware that we've removed all of their makeup and cleansed their skin and used skin disinfectants before, during and after the procedure. And then really it's hands off, makeup off, don't touch it, keep it nice and clean for the rest of the day to avoid any infection. So that's the, the main point that I reiterate. And generally speaking, I don't like my patients to to massage or um, manipulate the, the, the product within the tissues. I would rather if they were worried about something or they felt that they were aware of any product that they contacted the clinic and let us view them. And we can talk about that. Well, we'll talk about that next, actually, the, pro the product. Mm -hmm. um, and the reason that we don't tell you that you need to massage it is because we've, we've put that product in a very specific place mm -hmm. and we essentially, we don't want it moved. It shouldn't need to be massaged yeah. and moulded once it's in the tissue. Um, we've, got, we've chosen the right product and put it in the right place and really that, that should be it. We'll occasionally get a little bit of uh, lumpiness and it's really rare, but at the two week follow up, if there's a little bit of uh, lumpiness then we can address it at that yeah. point with massage, but you shouldn't actually have to do anything to it yourself. It's just a question of keeping the area clean to reduce infection, which in itself is a very low risk, but of course it's very easy 
to minimise that risk further, so it makes sense. And my most important instruction that I'd give to anyone when they leave the clinic is you have to phone us if you're worried about anything. We have a zero threshold for anxious patients. If, it's, if we can just reassure you, that's great, I'm happy to reassure you. But if there's something that we need to address, I want mm -hmm. to know about it so we can address it so you will continue to get the best outcome you can. Uh, and that's, that's really important in terms of maintaining patient satisfaction, but also maintaining our low rate of complications. We've got to keep on top of things. I think the practitioner remains responsible for their patient after the treatment and for the duration of the effect of the treatment that you've done as well. So that's, that's our responsibility. Let's talk then about the products. Mm -hmm. Anyone will be able to name three or four different sorts of lip filler. Um, and that's due to the, the marketing, the awareness. Um, so you know, it's probably okay to just mention a few names of the commonly used ones. People will be familiar with something called Juvederm. People will be familiar with uh, Restylane. There's other products that are branded as products for lips. So there'll be you know a, a Juvederm lips or a Restylane kiss. I'm not sure if that's what they're called, but you know there are you know this is a product for lips. Um, but when we break it down and we look at the actual product itself, the gel, there isn't really any need for one that's specifically designed for lips, I, in my opinion. I think there's, the different products have different characteristics. Some of them are more elastic, some of them are softer, some of them are lifting, some of them attract more water. And the goal is to use the product that has the best properties for the area that you're injecting in. And for us then, that brings us on to the next thing, is that there's no one product, because the lips are complicated structures with more than one tissue in it. So as Erin was saying earlier on, we've got the skin around the side as well, so we need a filler that's specific for that indication. So fine lines around the mouth, you need a filler that's specific for fine lines around the mouth. Mm -hmm. For volumizing the lip, we've got a filler that's specific for putting into that area. So, you know, Paula, what's, what's your take here? What, what are the characteristics of the various fillers we could use around the lips? Yeah, going back to, to treatment planning and discussing with patients the changes that have happened around their mouth that, that might be concerning them, I think patients understand really well when you explain to them the um, properties of different fillers. So if a patient's complaining of fine lines or smoker's lines, and I describe a filler as being light, um, so it can be placed superficially in wrinkles, they understand that. And they are happy that that is going to smooth out their fine lines without perhaps volumizing their lip, which might be something they don't want. Um, for lip volumization, a really important point for me is to discuss with patients um, that the right filler in the right place will give them a really natural result. So using a filler to volumise the lips or replace volume in the lips, um, using a, a lifting filler that's nice and elastic and moves with the patient when they're talking, placed in what the patient sees as their red lip, so the area that, for example, females would put lipstick, will give them a really natural result. Um, and that is away from the border of the lip or away from the skin around the lip where we would use that lighter filler and it gives them a really nice result. So different fillers with different Different, different fillers, different properties in different tissue layers and patients understand that. They mm -hmm. understand that. Um, the, the feel of the fillers, the thickness of the fillers, the movement of the fillers in particular um, tissues. It makes sense. So once we understand the difference between the different products, mm -hmm. 
um, and we understand the anatomy of the aging, we can we can start to build that treatment journey, that treatment plan. So we can we can say to our patient, well, there's four different issues that we should be addressing to give you a natural outcome for your lips. Here, here are two of them that we can address with filler A and filler B. And then, you know, the third and fourth thing we might need to address with something to uh, improve collagen stimulation in the skin, for example, or maybe uh, some toxin to relax muscles. Mm -hmm. So we can create a holistic treatment plan based on all the products and all the, all the techniques that we've got. Erin, um, well, we've talked about the different products, but we've also got different techniques for, for injecting fillers into the lips. Now, broadly speaking, there's, there's needles and then there's cannula. And, um, I think I'm right in thinking that you've you've had sort of both techniques. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so you know, what's what's your take on it? From put it put yourself in the patient perspective, needles and, and cannula. What do they feel like? What does it mean to you? So really, I think you can kind of categorise them in two kind of different outcomes. With your cannula, you have one insertion point, which means that you just have the corners of the mouth and they they travel through and create volume in the lip from that one area. Um, usually I found when I had that done it was for volume, so I was keeping volume within the kind of middle of the lip. Um, and then I've had it done before where we have done more of the vermilion border, so where that pink and the, the skin meets. And with a needle you can kind of place that a little bit more defined. So mm. really from patient perspective, no matter what the technique that the practitioner uses, the aftercare the look straight afterwards is, is the exact same. I think from patient's perspective, we are looking for an outcome in general. And as long as we're discussed and we're told what product we're using, why we're doing it, the expected outcomes, we're happy to go with the pro the mm. practitioner's recommendation. So that's cannula or needle or vice versa. It's never been kind of an, an issue either way. So, so from the patient yeah. perspective, you're, you're quite happy with yeah. whatever technique is, is advised. I think that's 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 good. And from the practitioner perspective, Paula, mm -hmm. um, my belief is I, mean, I use cannula for uh, volumization. If I want to put volume in the lip, and I know people put uh, do this the same um, treatment with with needles and get exceptional results. So, you know, if it was uh, a sort of uh, to flip a coin, cannula or needle, is it is it easy or difficult to say that one way is better than another or you know, how do you feel? As a practitioner who's almost always only used cannula in the in the red part to volumise lips, I would definitely find it easier to use that because mm. that's what I'm more practised with. Um, patients are aware of both now and they bring it up as a subject matter. Um, and also I think they're aware of the, the potential um, pros and cons of both. Um, so I discuss that with my patient. Um, I uh, prefer cannula because I find it simpler just to, to make one injection point and work from there. I think the movement is smoother through the tissues and I feel like my product is placed more evenly because I'm sitting within one tissue plane. Um, and I explain all these things to my patients. I think the result um, is smoother and it settles more yeah. quickly because it's less invasive and less traumatic. Yeah. Um, I've never had a patient who hasn't worked with me on that after I've explained it to them. Yeah. Um, I haven't done a lip volumization injection with a needle in a very long time, but um, 
my preferences because of um, the increase in potential complications. Mm. I'd rather not. Now that's why I started using the cannula in the yeah. lips as well. I probably did that about six or seven years ago and in terms of getting filler into the lip for volumization, I've not used a needle since then. Mm. I think um, the idea was that the risk is lower. The risk of uh, significant bruising is lower with a cannula because it's a blunt instrument. But I also find in terms of my outcome, my end result, because a cannula is a longer instrument, you can get a much smoother product placement. I can get it all exactly where I want it with no lumps or bumps or disconnects. So I get a more natural result. That being said, I've got some very uh, well-respected and highly regarded colleagues who don't use cannula and still get phenomenal results. So there's definitely an element of uh, the practitioner having a a certain skill set. Um, so I, I wouldn't be put off if you're going to an, uh, a very respected no. um, uh, practitioner who said, oh, I don't use cannula. It's not necessarily a bad thing. And the other thing is we've started using needles again for the vermilion border. Mm. So different techniques can get different outcomes. Using a needle uh, with a very fine dermal filler is much better at placing it very superficially within the dermis itself, which is much better for fine smokers lines and definition of the edge of the, the familiar border, then you'll, you'll be able to achieve with a cannula. Mm-hmm. So we're having a discussion as to how to close this off, which, which topic we're gonna to go with. So it's 50-50, <laughs> actually it's not, it's 60-30. <laughs> uh, Paula and Erin want to talk about um, the male lip, and I actually wanna talk about alternative non-filler treatments for the lip and perioral area. So which should we do? Okay, then this is your podcast. You lead this. Oh, wonderful! Okay, so we're going to talk. We're going to talk about um, collagen stimulating treatments around the lips. So energy-based devices, um, or even chemical peels. So I'll let Erin talk about that. And if anyone listening to this wants to hear us talk about male uh, lip augmentation, male perioral augmentation, just drop us an email to info@clinetics.co.uk. And uh, we'll sort that out. Paula and Erin can do that on the next podcast. Happy to do that. Uh, So Erin, lip rejuvenation. We've done the lip. We've addressed all the things we can do. The patient's still got some sagging skin. The whole perioral area still isn't rejuvenated and it's not harmonious. So what do we do? See, I think that's, for a lot of females especially, um, that area is one of their main concerns. And that can range from when they were younger, they've had acne, and these acne scans became more prominent when they've got older, or if it's that jowling area. So sometimes we have to look at the, the kind of perioral area and step away from injectables. That could be because some patients don't feel comfortable with it, or they've had injectables in the past and they've achieved as much as they can achieve before stepping over and looking that wee bit too um, and too full. So what we really have to understand is that from about 18 to kind of early 20s, the face shape starts to change. We start to lose collagen, unfortunately. Collagen is that kind of building block of a, a plump, full skin. So we have to kind of re-educate the client on the changes in the face and then give them the options that, of, of different options that we can do. Um, so one thing that we focus on is really kickstarting that collagen again so that can be done in, in multiple different ways we can do that with um, specific home care and we can also do that with in-house treatments the best um, outcome is always going to be that combination of the both of them so for instance smokers lines as dr paula and dr simon mentioned is one of the most common concerns for a lot of women so what we want to look at is as simon said 
energy based devices, things like microneedling in combination with radiofrequency, where we create very controlled trauma to the skin, which kickstarts that natural collagen production. So, kickstarts that natural wound healing response to produce more kind of volume um, in the targeted area, but also introducing that radiofrequency, that energy can really help to contract the collagen and help to tighten the area. So, giving a kind of overall lifting effect an overall smoothing effect. To combine it or to compare it to injectable treatments is that you're going to have a much more progressive natural result. It's not going to be where we place volume into the lab and get quite an instant result. We are working with the body's natural system so we are going to take a little bit longer but even as standalone they can give really really um, enhanced results but also in combination with, with your fillers can give you that kind of home and holistic effect as well. So yes, yeah, so we're speaking about tightening the, the jaw area and what that can do is really um, give a lifting effect, just helps smooth out fine lines around the, the mouth and also really helps to smooth out things like acne scarring that can sometimes um, almost age the periolar area if it's been a prolonged issue for many patients. So things like microneedling, combination microneedling, even um, chemical peeling, um, depending on the strength you use, can again increase that collagen. The main basis from our side as aesthetic therapists is to really increase the amount of collagen that the body can naturally produce, given a much healthier skin. Um, there's a little bit of a misconception that collagen is this kind of anti-aging um, stereotype. Collagen is a healthy building block of the skin, so if we have healthier collagen, yes, we're going to have an anti-aging effect, but we're also going to have a much healthier appearance within the skin. So yeah, we can do that with chemical peeling, but the main thing that we speak to our patients about is really good home care and that really fits in with everything that we do within clinetics from injectables to peeling to make needling to really anything um, and it enhances the results and prolongs the results that we get as well. So anything that stimulates a really healthy skin will very much complement everything that we do here. And that's part of it. It's, well, it's not part of it. It's the whole of what we do, isn't it? Yep. It's, you know, the, the, the clinic and clinics like ours we aim to restore healthy skin and a healthy appearance to the skin. So it is restoration of normal health and, and structure and function and then it's maintenance of yeah. the, the healthy structure and function. I think something that you really, you always kind of pass that as Dr. Paula, don't you, with your patients all the time that they'll come in with certain kind of concerns and you'll address that within your practice but then the majority will pass over to us. Yeah, I try, try to sort of reiterate with patients that you know, there isn't just one approach, yeah. And they're always going to be more satisfied if if they're they're dealing with issues at every level, yeah. Okay, so just to briefly summarise then with uh, with lip fillers, it's, it's, it's about the product that's being used, it's about the indication having the right expectations from treatment uh, to get a truly natural and uh, holistic outcome with the minimal amount of risk. Um, and, and the goal is, uh, healthy structure and function which is you know it, it, it is a youthful appearance but it's not youth we're trying to generate it's, it's health well I hope you enjoyed today's uh, podcast um, if you would like more information or you'd like to know more about the clinic or the treatments that we offer please follow us on our social media channels we're on Facebook we're on Twitter we're on Instagram our website is www.clinetics.co.uk and if you want to email us, you can get us on info at clinetics.co.uk. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you. Thank you.